Do you love to talk about books? Do you wonder how authors build their stories? Each month, I'll take you on the journey of discovering how authors work. Listen to how writers explain their craft and the mission behind their writing with the nature of authors. I'm your host, Chrissy Holm. Let's talk books. I'm very excited to welcome our first guest of season two, Lori Easter, author of All the Leavings. Today, we're going to be talking about writing essays to get through adversity. Hi, Lori. Hi, Chrissy. Thank you so much for having me. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. So I kind of want to start us off with just a little bit of an icebreaker. I'm really big on nature and being outdoors, which is great. Yeah, that's a lot of my book. Yes. That's what I was like, <laughs> good connection. So I want to start with a, a nature question and then I'll start with an icebreaker related to writing. So let's say you're going on a hike in nature until one day you're stranded and being stranded can mean whatever it means, but what are some of the essentials that you would want with you and why? A water bottle a warm jacket, bear spray, (laughs) and (laughs) my cell phone on the just in case I would be able to find some service to get help. Yeah. And some snacks. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Right. Those are ideal. What kind of snacks would you have with you? Well, the first thing that came to my mind was chocolate, Yeah, <laughs> but really maybe some nuts and things like that, you know, for some protein. Yeah, <laughs> that's good. Maybe a combo, maybe, um, what do they call it? A chocolate covered peanuts or something like that. Right. Yeah. yeah. Something yeah. like that. <laughs> that would be great. Yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. Do you do any hiking or are you an outdoor person? I'm definitely an outdoor person. So I live in the woods on the edge of wilderness. And so I'm outside all the time and I take my dog on walks. And when we go on walks, it's full on nature through the woods. And yeah, so that's a big part of my life. That's awesome. And I'm excited to learn a little bit more about your life and kind of what brought you to this point as being a writer and being on the edge of wilderness as well. Uh (laughs) So what is your favorite thing about writing or being a writer author? What's my favorite thing? That's a hard to pinpoint down to what is the one favorite thing. You know, I've always loved to write since I was a very young child. It was something that I was drawn to, that it came fairly naturally to me and as an ex- form of expression. And it was when I was in the seventh grade that I told my English teacher, I'm going to be a writer. That's It just was like this clear vision. It took a very long time before I became a published author, but that's okay. So what's my favorite thing about writing? I love the process. I love revision, which is maybe some people hate that part, but I love that part. Craft is something really important to me. And I love being part of a community of writers and interacting with others about 
literature and sharing writing. So this is like, a, a, I'm not pinpointing it down okay. to one thing, but it's like a broad, you know, there's a lot of aspects that yeah. I love about writing. Yeah, absolutely. I think they kind of like lean on each other too. I mean, you have to write in order to revise. You have to have that community and talk about books and literature and stuff to be able to know like what's a good type of novel. Or I think being able to like have that community as well, that aspect to be able to like talk about the craft is right. Right. Yeah, because you can write just for yourself. Anybody Mm -hmm. can write whatever they want and it can be just for themselves and they don't share it and it doesn't ever get published. But most writers have the goal of wanting to share and publish Mm -hmm. and it's an interactive thing where you're not just writing for yourself, you're writing for an audience. So you need feedback from people initially in order to make your work the best it can Mm -hmm. be. And then hopefully once you have it where you want it and you feel good about it and it gets out there, then hopefully you're going to get feedback from people just because they relate to what you've written and they want to connect with you on a personal level. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that's the big thing that I love about writing as well is you're building that community. You're sharing not only your story, but like you're getting feedback from people, whether they relate to it or, hey, this is another way you could say it. You can still get that emotional impact. Right. Yes, definitely. And that goes back to the revising. I actually love the revising process too. Yeah. Good. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I know. I just, I find it fun. (laughs) I do too. It's a challenge that I just really enjoy. It's kind of like solving a puzzle or something. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I, yeah, I find writing that first draft is sometimes the toughest because it's like, ah, but then you can manipulate it when you're revising right. and all that. Yeah. Like, and puzzle. Yep. It's great. <laughs> so let's talk a little bit more about your book, All the Leavings. All the leavings. I always want to say all the leavings. I don't know why. Oh, yeah. Well, that's L. interesting that you say that because when I read the questions that you sent to me to, you know, as just to be prepared yeah. and you asked about, and maybe I'm getting ahead of things here, but that's so about, about like a sentence or a paragraph. Yeah. And so I flipped through and one of the paragraphs that I chose was about leaves and how that relates to leaving. So it's interesting to me that oh. came out. <laughs> wow. Maybe it's a sign or something yep. like that. That's great. <laughs> yeah. Well, we'll definitely get to that. I think I want to hear that paragraph if you want to read it. Sure. Us. Okay, yeah. cool. All right. So tell us a little bit more about what all the leavings mean and what's the story about? stories, I guess I should say. Yeah. So it's a collection of essays, linked essays that all read the whole book as a memoir. Time is not linear, but there is some linear narration, but mostly it's shifting. So it's about being a young woman that becomes a mother early and that I didn't really know what I was getting myself into and moving to live the way I live off the grid 
on the edge of wilderness, this very alternative lifestyle that I still live today (laughs) and not totally by choice, but mostly, I suppose, a lot by circumstance too. And then it's about the losses that I've experienced in my life. And I feel like there's a lot of universality in the book in terms of just evaluating different types of loss. There's suicide and health issues, cancer, AIDS. My daughter had a very serious life-threatening illness, but she didn't die, (laughs) thankfully. (laughs) So I just have to throw that out there. So it's an evaluation of what it is to love and to lose and transitions, all kinds of transitions are leavings. You're leaving one state of being and becoming another. So that's generally what it's about. And it's all threaded in with nature and the alternative lifestyle. Mm. Wow. Wow. That sounds so powerful. And it sounds like you've been through a lot of of life. (laughs) Definitely (laughs) a lot. Yes. And even more than is in the book Mm. that came Mm. later. So, yeah, I know you had mentioned a little bit about like, and I saw on your website too, that it really is examining love, loss, finding strength through those adverse times. What does that mean to you? I mean, of course we want to read the book and see what you went through, but Mm -hmm. if you could sum it up, how would you say you've gotten through that adversity? Well, writing has helped me. (laughs) Definitely writing about these things has, you know, as an essayist, it's like, I'm trying to figure out what is it that things mean? What is it I think about my experience? What I'm trying to make sense of it. Mm -hmm. And that's a lot of with essayists, I think when they're writing, they're including the narrative storyline, but they're also pondering and really trying to go deep into figuring things out. So it's definitely part of it for me. So nature is huge for me with getting through hard times. Mm-hmm. Being in nature, it's just, it's like, it's my therapy, it's my church. And then of course, other people having close relationships and therapy. (laughs) I'm a big proponent of therapy. If it's something that's really difficult and I've gone through a lot of difficult stuff and I've had a lot of therapy. So I'm not shy to say that because I feel like it's something that we need to talk about. I think that's a big reason why I did write this book, my goal for those who are going to read it is that they're going to see themselves in certain situations, relate to certain scenarios, even though certain details can be completely different and not feel alone and then see that, yeah, it's possible to get through it that you can come out on the other side. It doesn't mean that it isn't hard. And my life continues to be really hard, Mm -hmm. but I'm here, I'm surviving. And, and I want to 
have the discussions. Mm -hmm. So that's what I'm hoping that the book will like break down some barriers and increase dialogue. Mm. Oh, Oh, I've got goosebumps. Like that's so good because I think that's part of why I've been wanting to do this podcast is because I think we need to talk about a lot of these issues, a lot of these things. It's yeah. I mean, it's hard to talk about, but it's so, so needed and isn't talked about enough, I think. And especially nowadays where people, I think, are suffering to a degree that feels more than in the past. I think people have always suffered, of course, you know, but I just feel like it's on a grander scale somehow currently. Yeah, it's definitely, I think, a little bit more at the forefront of our minds. And maybe right. before we just pushed it off or however we coped with it. And now it's yeah. like, okay, now we now let's do something about this, you know. Right. Yeah. There's no getting away from it. It feels like it's like in our face, you know. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> a thousand percent. Yeah. And also just, you know, I'm hoping the reader will learn some things about what it's like living my lifestyle and just enjoy the beauty of the language. And I'm a very literary writer. Mm -hmm. So I like to think (laughs) that there's a lot of lyricism in my writing. So I'm hoping that people will just on that level, just enjoy it for the beauty of the language too. In, In addition to the content. Right. Yeah. Connect with the story, have that empathy and not be alone, but then also, wow, this is beautiful writing. Exactly. Awesome. Yeah. So kind of on that same wavelength, what made you decide on doing memoir, like an essay form versus like fiction or something along those lines? So I went to school late in life because I started raising children young. And then that was, my life was consumed with that. And so I was in my forties when I went to college and I was an English major with a writing emphasis. I took some classes. I was originally, I really thought I would be a fiction writer. That was what my goal was. And then I took some classes in my undergrad of creative nonfiction. I had never heard of creative nonfiction before. And then I was introduced to this genre. So I just started writing a lot of essays. And then when I graduated and I intended to pursue an MFA, I had to apply in a certain genre. And all the work I had pretty much was in creative nonfiction for samples And it was something that I really gravitated towards. It very much came naturally to me, that style of writing. And so I applied for my MFA in creative nonfiction, and then it just went from there. I love how life can just, oh, you're going to do this instead. It's not exactly what you're thinking, but right. (laughs) Yeah. And I still think about writing fiction. Lately, I've been thinking about it quite a lot 
of trying to write a novel, but I feel so inept. Like, I don't know how to do that, but I guess I could just start trying and see what happens. (laughs) Absolutely. And I feel like you've gained so many skills, probably just learning creative nonfiction that a lot of it probably can transfer to fiction. Obviously there's things that are different about it, but do you think you would ever write another either creative nonfiction or I know you say you're, you've thought about fiction, but. Yeah, I've been writing essays. That's what I've been currently writing and mostly really short pieces that a lot of them need to be expanded upon. I need to go back. I've got like, I have a running list Well, I've been doing these salons weekly And so it's a finite amount of time. And then we write for say 45 minutes and we come back and share it's all on zoom. So I've been producing all these short pieces that fit in that time span. Yeah. Yeah. And some of them then feel whole in that short flash kind of piece, but some of them definitely I need to go back and work on and expand. So I've got a running list of those. I literally, every time I write one, I title it and then I put in a document, a list of all those titles Mm -hmm. so that it's easy for me to find because if I just have them all in my Word documents, then I'm like, where is what? I can't remember, right? So this has made it really easy for me. Then I just open up the document that is list of new writing, and then I can easily find what it is I'm looking for. So I'm kind of at a point of needing to gather all those pieces together and look at, well, what fits together? What's overlapping And what do I really even have going here? Yeah. Yeah. The revising process. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. That's And still, it would still be a lot of drafting too, because I feel like it's nowhere near being a cohesive anything yet. (laughs) Right. You got to like blend and mix things and totally just, you've got the ideas or the shitty first draft done. Now it's just like putting it more beautifully. (laughs) Yeah. And then finding the gaps and writing to fill the gaps. What are your hopes to turn that into? Well, that's something I'm kind of struggling with right now. So I've been debating on, do I want to turn those pieces into memoir and essays that is very fragmented essays Or do I want to start completely over and write it as a straightforward narrative memoir? That which is daunting to me because that's not really how I work. I don't really work like that. That's not how my brain works, you know? (laughs) Right. So every time I think about actually writing a straightforward narrative memoir, I'm like, I don't (laughs) think I can do that. Yeah. But I don't know. Maybe I'm just not pushing myself hard enough. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's funny. I'm excited to hear more like later down the line to see what you end up doing with it. I think right now it sounds like it's in a very creative space where you can really go anywhere you want. Yeah, exactly. Which feels good. That part 
feels really good. Now it's just making the decision and going one way or the other. (laughs) Right. So I have another question kind of going back to all the leavings. And of course, that's your life. You've experienced that. But of everything that you did write about in all those essays, is there one part that sticks out to you the most that you find kind of at the heart of that story? Maybe this leads to reading it as well. Well, I can tell you the sentence that I had picked. Yes. In addition to the paragraph that I had mentioned to you earlier. Yeah, let's do that. I picked this because I really feel like it encapsulates the entire book. And it's the last paragraph in my prologue. So the book opens with a prologue from when I was 23 and I was moving to Oregon and I was five and a half months pregnant and I was to meet my husband who at the time we weren't married, but we were together. And I was supposed to be meeting him in Mount Shasta for the night. And then we were going to drive up into Oregon the next day. And I got a flat on the highway and this was in the time of no cell phones. right? Right. Right. So anyway, That's the opening of the book, and I'll just read the last paragraph of it. We headed north, leaving behind our past, driving straight up the interstate into a precarious future, one full of hope. I didn't know yet that to give birth to joy means also giving rise to heartache, that love and loss are mirror faces reflecting one another. Mm. So I just feel like that really is kind of like a summary of the book that not knowing what's going to happen in life and there's joy and there's sorrow and there's love and there's loss and they really all go together. It's like you can't have one without the other. Yes. Exactly. That totally makes sense. I think there's like the, like you were saying earlier, the puzzle pieces of writing. I think that's kind of like life too, right? There's right like the picture of life. You have to have all these different pieces to mm-hmm. have a full life. I mean, yeah. no matter how hard or difficult they may be, it's still part of the picture, right? Yes. Yeah. Thank you for reading that. That was great. All the essays play with form in some regard. Mm -hmm. The prologue is very straightforward narrative. And then there are a couple of essays that have a lot of straightforward narrative, but even within those essays, they are braided essays or mosaic where there's gaps. And then there's several that really radically play with form. So there's one that is in the form of a crossword puzzle and another that's in the form of a word search puzzle. And then there's a list essay that's very meditative. And so then there's like a mosaic. So there's a lot of playing with form in the book. That's so cool. Like I never... I didn't even know that was a thing. (laughs) So cool. 
Have you heard the term hermit crab essays? Sounds kind of familiar, but refresh my memory. Okay. Hermit crab essay is the term was coined by Brenda Miller and Suzanne Antonetta. I might be getting her name wrong. She's got three names. (laughs) And they wrote this book, a craft book on creative nonfiction, which I have on my shelf. Let me just run and see. This is good because now I get her name right. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So Brenda Miller and Suzanne Paola wrote this book called Tell It Slant. And the subtitle is Writing and Shaping Creative Nonfiction. And I got a copy of this back when I was in my undergrad. And since then, they've actually updated and revised the book. They've got new editions I think it's in its third edition now. The copy that I have is the original first edition. So it's quite different from the current version. But in it, they coined this term hermit crab essays. And hermit crab essays are essays that take the form of something else. So you know how a hermit crab finds a shell and it lives in that shell. And then when it grows out of it, it leaves that shell and it finds another shell. So it's looking for different forms to live in. A hermit crab essay uses the form of something else. So it could be like a recipe or an obituary or a how-to directions. Two of my essays, like I said, one is in the form of a crossword puzzle and one is in the form of the word search. Mm -hmm. So those are considered hermit crab essays. That's so cool. What made you decide like those specific essays in that specific form? It really boiled down to the content of what I was trying to write. Mm -hmm. Well, they kind of happened a little bit differently from each other. So the first one that I wrote was the crossword puzzle essay. And I was playing with form. I was just trying new things. And I really wanted, I had a very clear intention that I wanted to write an essay that was in some kind of form I had never seen done. So I was playing around and nothing was really coming to me. I was working on a piece that had, what do you call that? This word always (laughs) evades me. There's like letters and each letter is for a word and it represents something. Oh, like an acronym? Yeah. Acronym. Okay. 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 Yeah. Thank you. Yes. You're welcome. (laughs) (laughs) I was playing around with writing an essay using acronyms and it just, it was interesting. It was like a good exercise. I think it's really good to stretch your brain in that way. Use your imagination, challenge yourself. And what happens, I think, because this is what happened for me is it unlocks things in your subconscious or that you might not have thought of just if you were trying. It's like once you let go of that trying, then things come. Mm-hmm. And so I was writing this piece and it was it was really crappy, you know. <laughs> but 
in the process, then I literally had this moment where it was like a light bulb that went off in my head. And I was like, crossword puzzle. And I thought, that's it. I don't know how I'm going to do it, but I'm going to do it. And then as soon as I start, and I didn't know what the topic would be, but I just thought, I'm just going to trust. I'm just going to trust my gut here. And I just started writing and the topic just unfolded. I just started writing and it was about going through the experience of becoming a grandmother because that was a really hard thing for me. I was young to become a grandmother and I was struggling with it. And so I just started writing about it and it all unfolded. And so that's how that one came about. But then with the other one, I had the content that I was very much trying to write about this friend of mine who had gone missing. And I was struggling to write about it. It was very challenging for me. And I kept stopping and starting and stopping and starting. And then I think because I had written the crossword puzzle essay, then all of a sudden I thought, oh, duh, as a word search. You know, she's missing. People are searching for her. So it just made so much sense to me. And once that idea came, then it was fairly effortless in terms of the writing. I still had to do a lot of research. There's a lot of research in the essay about addiction. She struggled with methamphetamine addiction. Mm -hmm. And so I had to do a lot of research about that. But once I had the form, I was able to write about her. Whereas before, I just couldn't do it. I just was struggling too much. So I think sometimes when you have the form before you know what you're going to write, it's like this container that helps you to, it's like a constraint, you know, Mm -hmm. and it forces you into having to really be very focused and careful. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good challenge. (laughs) Yeah. I was going to say, wow, I love that so much. Well, first of all, they're both so unique, the types of crossword and the word search that I've read a lot, but I've never read that. So that's super, that's unique. And I love that. And I think too, you're right. Like during the writing process, trying to mix up the way you're telling it, or even just trying a different strategy of how to tell it can be eye-opening because I've had that experience myself, you know, like uh-huh. do A through Z and write a story about it. It opens right. up something new, you know? Exactly. I'm a big proponent in playing around like that. And it doesn't mean it's always going to work, but I think it really does open things up in your brain. It's like it loosens something, you know? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. In the creativity and your imagination and I think then it allows your subconscious to enter into the writing. Absolutely. And you're just thinking about it a little differently. Like if Mm -hmm. you get the prompt of, okay, write five birthdays in a row, what happened on those five birthdays, then you're really focusing in on that event and it's pulling out things that maybe you might not have thought about or or whatever. Exactly. Yeah. 
Wow. That's so cool. And I learned something. I, I love when I can learn something. <laughs> All right. Good. Yay. <laughs> All right, Lori. So what is one of your favorite paragraphs from your book? And kind of just if you can explain a little bit before what was happening, and then we'd love to hear. One of my favorite paragraphs is from, so I didn't describe this to you in the book. There are these four reprieves. And that's what I've titled them, Reprieve, Winter, Spring, Summer, and Fall. And so they're interspersed throughout the book, every third or fourth essay. And they are kind of snapshots of living here on the land. And they're obviously season-based so that I could give kind of the flavor of each season because it changes so much what you have to do in order to live here. So this is from autumn, which autumn is my favorite season. Me too. <laughs> and and also I felt like autumn just is prevalent in the book, but this actually comes fairly late in the collection. It's towards the end, but I don't think it gives anything away, but it gives maybe a little bit of flavor as to the lyricism of the language, at least in this particular reprieve. So this is the last paragraph from Autumn. Of all the seasons, Autumn is my favorite. What is it about Autumn that evokes in me such an affinity? Is it the fact that both my daughters were born this season, one on a rainy day, the other in a swirling wind? Is it the measured changes that startle and awe, the cornucopia of crimson, gold, carnelian, and copper? Or is it the melancholy, a time of folding in on oneself reflecting, preparing to enter the den like a bear for its winter sleep. Maybe it's the giving up, dying back, the fading of the light, the release and letting go, leaves flying, leaves falling, leaves leaving. Is that why they are called leaves? For this ability to let go of their attachments, make ready to shed and leave their trees, unclothed, bare, exposed. The thing is, when a deciduous tree has lost its leaves, it makes way for more light, a more expansive view. You can see what normally is shaded, but not before a huge burst of beauty rings out, a surge, like a tree that is dying how sometimes it gives forth a profusion of seeds, scattering the ground with them so that the following spring, after the hardship of cold, frozen earth and drenching rains, seedlings take root and emerge in a smattering of shoots. One tree becomes many. Wow. That's so good. Thanks. That was so beautiful. You're right. It's got that like lyricism feel to it, but it's so descriptive and I can like picture it all right in front mm. of me. Thank you. You're welcome. I mean, I haven't read other parts of it, but that's a pretty good <laughs> one. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah, you're welcome. 
So Lori, what is it like to live off the grid? What's that experience like? Well, it's a lot of hard work. It's very challenging. It's not for the faint of heart. And I mean, it depends on what kind of situation you have. So there's people who live off the grid who probably have a much better scene than I do. And it's maybe a lot easier for them. But my situation is I have solar panels and I have a hydroelectric system, which is connected to a creek that runs just over the ridge. So in the summer, I'm dependent mostly on the solar, but in the winter, I'm mostly dependent on the hydro because, I mean, the sun's shining now, which is great, but it does rain and snow and is cloudy a lot. So in order to maintain the system, often after every big storm, the intake for the water line Mm -hmm. gets clogged by debris Mm -hmm. and I have to hike back. It's quite a ways. I mean, it's not that far, but if I'm walking really fast, I can get there in a half an hour, I Mm -hmm. guess, but it's more like 45 minutes to get there because it's uphill mostly and then downhill and So I'm losing my power often during the storm. And that's exactly when I don't want to hike back there and clean the intake. And then in those times, then I am dependent on running my generator to charge the batteries and which is uphill. So that means I have to haul five gallon cans of gas up there to run the generator and (laughs) Then I have a wood stove for heat. So I have to keep having firewood. Like right now, I'm kind of (laughs) a little freaking out because I'm getting down there on my firewood. And But I have a great friend that came and helped me. And he's going to come again to cut some rounds and split them for me. And my bathroom's outside. I don't have a bathroom. I can't say my bathroom's outside. I don't have a bathroom. My bathtub is outdoors and I described that in the book actually in one of the reprieves in the, I believe it's in winter. And I have a composting outhouse, which is actually indoors. Like I access it through a room and it, so it feels indoors, but it doesn't have any heat. And so it can be really cold in winter. So it's a hard kind of reality that not a lot of people would tolerate. Yeah. I mean, is it something that you still enjoy? Yeah. When it's not winter. Yeah. Right. Right. (laughs) We had a big snowstorm over Christmas Mm -hmm. and I was snowed in for 10 days because I don't have a four wheel drive. And my driveway is a quarter mile. And so I couldn't get out, which was fine, but it kind of pushed me over the edge, just the whole thing, you know, shoveling the snow and trying to get like the water went out from the hydro. So then I had to haul the gas cans up to the generator through the snow, which was a hassle. And I really was kind of melting down. Like this is too hard. I'm getting too old for this. I don't want to do this anymore, you know? And, and now the snow's melted and I'm feeling a little more relieved, but 
Definitely. I definitely have been contemplating how much longer Mm -hmm. I can live like this. How long has it been? We bought this land when my oldest daughter was a year old and she's 32. Mm -hmm. So we've had it for 31 years. And then we moved to town for eight years when the girls were going to high school. They did it in succession because they're five years apart. And that was during that time was when I attended Mm -hmm. Southern Oregon University and got my undergrad. And then I was also still living in town when I did my MFA, which was a low residency program at Vermont College. Then we moved back and that was in 2012. But I live alone now because my husband died almost, it'll be four years this coming April. Mm-hmm. So I've been on my own here now. He used to do all the hard work. And, <laughs> like you go outside. <laughs> right. And now I have to do everything, you yeah. know, so it's made it more challenging. I mean, there's a certain regard of feeling like I've really learned how resilient I am and how strong I am. There's positive aspects to having to do this stuff on my own. It's been a discovery for me as to what I can handle, which is empowering, but it's also been a lot of grief and it's hard. So yeah, yeah, I don't know how much longer I'm going to be able to handle it. Yeah, (laughs) I'm only getting older, right? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, you've had a lot of experience out there and it sounds like you've learned a lot about who you are as a person, even just being out there. So yeah, definitely. Yeah. I've learned a lot about myself and I've learned a lot about how to do things. I've done things that I... Never thought I would end up doing, you know? Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. And you know, if anything ever happens to technology and everything, you've got it covered off the grid. <laughs> that part, I feel like I'm very privileged in that regard, you know, that, yeah, if things fall apart, then I'm pretty set here. And then also just the fact that, like, once the pandemic started, My life wasn't that different from everybody else was like sheltering in place. And I just was living my life. Yeah. Yeah. Like this is just normal for me kind of feeling. I feel very privileged in the safety of my bubble. Yeah. I mean, it's a hard life, but I have a lot of privilege in the fact that I've got this land and base and yeah, that other people don't have. So Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's positive and, and negatives on all aspects of life. <laughs> exactly. Everything. Everywhere. Yeah. That's just, yeah. That's cool. I, it's fun to learn a little bit more uh, being off the grid. And I don't know. I've imagined it sometimes. I never, uh-huh. I don't know if I could ever, but I find that super interesting to hear other people that have experienced that. And uh-huh. that, that's cool. Maybe we can finish up with just letting people know where we can buy your book and essays and how everyone can connect with you. Great. So I have a website. It's laurieaster.com. And you can pretty much find my book anywhere. It can be ordered at your favorite 
bookstore, independent bookstore. I always encourage people to support their local indie bookstore. It's on Amazon. It's on barnesandnoble.com. It's on Bookshop. I also am a big proponent of people ordering from Powell's Books, which is such an incredible bookstore. And it's the largest independent bookstore, I don't know, maybe in the nation. I don't know, but certainly in Oregon. And it's an Oregon independent bookstore and I'm in Oregon. So, and they have it in stock and pretty much anywhere. And for those who, you know, don't have money to spend, you can request it at your local library. There are some libraries that have stocked it. And I'm hoping that more people will be requesting it for their local libraries. That's an excellent idea. I love that. And gotta love Powell's. It's my go-to stop anytime yep. in Oregon. <laughs> Good. Yeah. It's so fun. I love yeah. that place. Yeah. I mean, it's in Portland and I'm in Southern Oregon. So I'm like, we're at the exact opposite ends of the state, but it's not that far. I go there <laughs> occasionally. <laughs> right. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Lori. I really appreciate your time. And it was great to get to know you a little bit more and learn more about all the leavings. And thank you. This is fun. Yeah, it was really fun. I really enjoyed this conversation. Thank you so much for having me. You're welcome. <laughs> thank you. Want to learn more about the world of writers? Subscribe to The Nature of Authors on your favorite podcast platform. Have a burning question you'd like to ask upcoming guests? Reach out at www.chrissyholm.com. I'm Chrissy Holm, and until next time, keep reading, writing, spending time in nature, and dreaming up new worlds, my friend. <laughs>